to the Quarantine Players Podcast. We are a group of writers, directors, and actors who had our productions canceled due to the pandemic. Each week, we'll read a new play and discuss it with a playwright, just like Shakespeare. We aspire to create new work during a global pandemic. Welcome to the Quarantine Players. My name is AJ Campbell, and tonight we have a delightful selection for you. We are reading Stephen Foster's Legend and Bridge. It is the story of Joan Crawford, Betty Davis, and Judy Garland living in a New York apartment. Um, in this fictional account, Joan is trying to recruit Betty and Jude, Judy to a new project. Of course, Joan and Bet's feud is the stuff of legend. Davis earned an Oscar nomination for Baby Jane and snubbed her co-star Crawford, fueling all the jealousy and the rumors. Here, Joan needs Bette to recreate the magic. When I am choosing a play for the quarantine players, I ask why, why this play, why now? One particular aspect of the play is that they are held together up in the apartment. Davis and Garland are broke and dependent. They are denied through circumstances not of their own choosing, access to the very thing that they used to give themselves love, purpose, and attention, their work. Kind of feels a little bit like now. We hope you'll enjoy Legends and Bridge. Let's meet our cast. Hi, I'm Lily Mercer and I am playing Joan Crawford. Hi, I'm Judy Lewis and I'm playing Judy Garland. Hi, I'm Gail Grimes and I'm playing Betty Davis. Hello, I'm Adam Turk. I'll be playing the taxi driver and Madison. Hi, uh, my name is D. Scott Graham and I'll be playing Tennessee Williams. And I'm Chelsea Burke. I'm directing and I will be reading stage directions. Legends and Bridge, a play by C. Stephen Foster. At Rise, Joan Crawford sits on the couch inside her immaculate white living room of her Manhattan apartment. She wears a perfectly tailored pantsuit dated 1965, the ultimate multitasker. She has the radio playing softly behind her, reads a fan magazine, and rolls an empty Pepsi bottle under her foot. Picks up her Pepsi from the coffee table and drowns it in one gulp, then belches loudly. She speaks into the telephone. Uh, uh, now, Tina, I called you in your little play last night. Well, darling, I sat in the back all by myself and then I snuck out quietly. Darling, I wanted it to be your night. I wanted you to have all the attention, I thought. Well, darling, do you want my praise as a mother or do you want my honesty as a colleague of yours? Hmm? Are you sure? Well, I thought you were rotten. It's a damn shame you call yourself a Crawford. I cringed in my seat. I had to hold my head down in shame. I, I was mortified, embarrassed. Tina, don't be a crybaby. You asked me to tell you the truth. Shut that crying up. I do support you. I came to that piece of shit little off, 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 off Broadway production, didn't I? If I took all my criticism the way you are, I'd have never gotten past silent pictures, for God's sake. I'm going to hang up now. Goodbye, dear. I can't wait to see you in your next piece. Bless you, darling. She hangs up the phone with a look of glee in her eyes. She picks up the magazine and snarls at it. anymore look at this trash 
Not a single one of these young modern actresses can name even a trickle of glamour. It's all about ass, tits, and muff. Not much has changed, if you honestly think about it. I remember when my mom used to grace the cover of this old rag. I was the one who rose to the top out of nothing but sheer determination and all the odds piled up against me. But, but now, now no one believes in me. But the hell with them. They don't know what I'm made of. She walks to the bar and mixes herself a drink. She lights a cigarette. I'm so lucky to be in New York and out of that nasty little town. Thank the Lord I don't have to play those games anymore. I should have stayed a dancer and become a Broadway star. I'd still be working, that's for damn sure. There are plenty of parts for matrons, excuse me, mothers. Mothers, because on the stage you're ageless. She picks up a picture of Clark Gable from the mantle. Oh, Clark. I miss you so much. I miss making movies. I miss you and your hot body. I miss our secret excursions to the trailers between takes. Oh, why didn't I marry you when I had the chance? Mm, I miss your smell. The intercom buzzes. She throws on her shoes and answers it. Uh, yes, come up. Joan scurries around the apartment, double-checking everything. Judy Garland enters draped in a fur coat, sunglasses, and carrying two shopping bags. She marches into the room right past Joan, who has perched herself by the mantle. Judy leaves the door wide open. Judy! Judy! I'm just so goddamn mad, I can't stand it! Judy, you left the door wide open. Were you born in a barn? No, I was born in a trunk, but I did many a show in a barn. Judy, close the door. Where's the maid? Judy, I said close the door. Judy marches to the door and slams it hard like a child. <sighs> Judy, darling, how lovely to see you. Joan, darling, listen, dear, I, I had to take a taxi. But you're staying around the corner. I know, darling, but I didn't want people to hound me for autographs. But my problem is that I need to borrow $50. 50 are you crazy? No. Broke. Judy, $50 is a huge amount for a taxi ride around the corner. I know, darling, but I had to go shopping. I can't imagine you buying anything for $50. I didn't. Uh, it's for the taxi driver. See, I charged everything. It amazes me how much I can get away with by saying, I'm Judy Garland. <laughs> I never realized how many queens will bend over backwards for me. Judy, I'm not one to give handouts to washed-up drunk divas turning up on my doorstep penniless. Well, can't you bend your rule just for once for poor little old Judy? Darling, this is not MGM, and you're not everyone's favorite little tyke anymore. I know that, dear, but I don't want to ditch the taxi driver. He's holding my luggage in his back seat for ransom, and, you know, my whole life is in that trunk. I'll make an exception. Just this once, but you'll have to work it off with two weeks' worth of chores. Naturally. I would insist on it. Joan rummages through her pocketbook, pulls out money, and gives to Judy. Here. You're a saint. She exits. Saint Joan has a ring to it. Damn that woman. Oh, I mean, bless her. <laughs> She's gained weight. 
She's as big as that house that whisked her way to Munchkinland. What does she do all day, Graze? She'll eat and drink me out of house and home. Joan lights another cigarette. Judy comes back in, followed by the taxi driver, who loves a huge trunk on his back. Oh, you're such a darling. Thank you for giving me a hand with my bitty luggage. <laughs> now, just put it down anywhere, darling. Joan, can you give him just a small tip? Taxi driver puts down the trunk with a thud and waits expectantly for his tip. Judy. Don't want to rumple your impeccable reputation, dear. Joan digs into her purse and realizes she doesn't have any cash. She plants a smile on her face and walks seductively to the taxi driver. Listen, mister, I'm a little short on cash. Could you come back a little later, say, around midnight, and I'll make it up to you tenfold? Uh, sure, lady. Whatever you say. Mm, don't you know who I am, young man? Uh, no, I can never tell you dames apart. You've seen one carpet, you've seen them all. <laughs> Come back after midnight and I'll show you how a shaved muff can change your disposition. <laughs> I'll pass. He exits. Joan, yeah, I'm so glad to see you. Mm, darling, little Judy, it's been too, too long. Thank you for giving me a place to stay. I'm down to my luck since those bastards at CBS fucked me and my little show over. I need a drink. I have a Pepsi Cola. She holds up a bottle as if she's doing a commercial. Brother, Joan, I, I had something a little stronger in mind. You should try one of my special Pepsis. I had the company bottle me an exclusive formula. She opens a bottle and hands it to Judy. See if this doesn't satisfy you. Judy takes a sip, and it nearly knocks her on her can. <laughs> wow! If they had these at Metro, they would have gotten a hell of a lot more work out of me. You look marvelous. Oh, so do you. You look bovine. Uh, divine. Look, Elle, you should see me when I unbuckle this dress and it spills all over the floor. I don't look too fat, do I? Oh, no. No, no, no. Not at all. You're just... A little round around the edges. Nothing a couple of days on the exercise bike won't fix. Joan, I, I do have a bit of a problem. Now, Judy, I told you on the phone to leave you a trunk full of problems on the doorstep. Well, what kind of project are we going to work on together? I'll tell you when she gets here. No, I'm terrified about going before the camera again. The last picture I did, the critics ripped me a new asshole. Those fucking bastards. Judy, this picture is going to save our careers. Well, give me a little hint as to what kind of character I'm going to play. I, I, I mean, just promise me I don't have to sing. Please, I, I, I hate singing. If I have to sing one more picture, I'm going to just die. I need another Pepsi. Joan brings Judy a fresh Pepsi and sits beside her on the couch. Don't you worry, dear. You're going to be marvelous. It will soon be revealed. This is going to be the most monumental picture ever made in Hollywood. Our names will be in lights again. Minchon, I'm scared. I haven't been on camera since last year, and what if I've forgotten how? What if I've forgotten how? It's like a bike, a horse, or a man. Once you know how, the only trick is getting back on. That's easy for you to say. I fall off all three. Oh, Judy, 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 you're a natural in front of the cameras. You're wonderfully talented, and it's only a matter of- The intercom buzzes. 
Joan freezes in place. She walks to the inter intercom and buzzes it. Yes, come up. She scurries around the house in a panic, fluffing pillows, rearranging objects. Oh, God. It's her. I am so scared. How do I look? Embalmed, but what else is new? I have to depress her. She's always scared the shit out of me. You're forgetting who you are. I have to make a good impression. You're a star. The door flies open and Betty Davis enters like a bull in, in a china closet. She wears sunglasses, an old mink, and twirls a cigarette. She carries a small suitcase in her hand. She slams the door behind her with her foot. Betty, darling. What a dump. I worked like a dog scrubbing this place from top to bottom. You never had a single grain of taste, Miss Crawford. Uh, won't you please sit down? If my ass is clean enough to plop down on your plastic-covered poop. You look wonderful, Betty. Betty removes her sunglasses, wrap, gloves, and hat without missing a puff of smoke. Thank you, Judy. Well, let me tell you, I have been through hell and back. I'm fit to be tied. Drink? I thought you'd never ask. Please, forgive me. Uh, Judy, darling, will you make Betty a drink? Do I look like a maid for hire? Miss Davis is thirsty and my hands are shaking. Can one of you drug dames make me a drink, for God's sake? Yes, Betty, darling. She scurries to the liquor cabinet. Fix me one, too. Make that drink strong. I like a drink like my men. Lots of muscle. Getting here was a nightmare, a complete nightmare, let me tell you. I got ambushed by a bunch of screaming fruits who have seen every single one of my pictures over and over. I had to stand there and hear their goddamn jokes and impersonations. Oh, it was dreadful. Those mama boys just drive me nuts. I would be nothing without my boys. They completely worship me and I love them with two cocktails. Drinks for my two favorite actresses. Thank you. She takes a sip. Oh, Crawford. Yes? This drink is as weak as my last husband. Oh, well, uh, let me add some vodka. Joan hurries to the bar and Judy stops her by holding out her glass. Ice? I, I, I want some ice. You're acting like a spoiled little brat, Judy, and I won't tolerate it. Don't you talk to me that way. I'm Judy fucking Garland. For heaven's sakes, get the bitch her ice. I have a headache. Joan practically throws the ice into Judy's glass and then lightly gives Betty her drink. Your ice, Judy. Here's your drink, Betty. Thank you. Oh, Betty, what have you been doing with yourself since we did Jane? I haven't worked for nearly a year, and I'm bored, absolutely bored out of my skull. No one remembers that I am the queen of Hollywood. On top of that, 
I'm flat broke because of the divorce from that last SOB I married cost me a fortune. So, Joe, tell me about this picture we're all going to make. Where in God's name did you find a producer to believe in a bunch of old broads like us? Refer to me as an old broad again. Touchy, touchy, touchy. I want to know about this project, too. I don't have to sing, do I? I hate it when I sing. So do I. Well, this is not the big screen epic we're all used to. This is a small feature with an independent producer. But if it's done right, and with all of us in it, it could make a fortune. Well, what kind of character do I play? I want a part with some balls. And what about me? I want to play a bitch. Ladies, ladies, just trust me. Ha! Miss Crawford, I'd rather cut off my friggin' arm. Easy does it, Miss Davis. Now, this picture is going to be huge. It's going to be bigger than Clark's cock. But I digress. There are a few rules, however. No, oh, I've got to go to the loo. She dashes to the bathroom. There are a few rules I'd like to go over before I talk about the film. This is Crawford's place, and although I'm blessed to have you here... Oh, here goes Miss Bless You with one of her speeches. I need another martini. Betty marches to the bar and pours herself a stiff martini. I want you two to know that I run a tight ship around here. This is not the home for the retired and wayward movie stars. Are you listening, Judy? Every word! A toilet flushes. I expect discipline, efficiency, order, and above all, respect. I will not tolerate a moment's slack from either of you. Now, I have posted a list of chores over in the- Lights fade. Act one, scene two. Judy sits on an exercise bike, pedaling slowly. She is extremely depressed and sings a happy tune from one of her films in a slurred fashion. She has a cigarette hanging from her lips and a drink in her hand. Come on, get happy. I hate this fucking song. I hate this goddamn tractor, and I hate me too. I do. I'm so hot, ugly, and fat. How in the hell did my ass get so big? How in the hell did I get up here? Please call Vincent and tell him to take me home. I don't know why I sing all those happy songs when I haven't been happy in years. Can't somebody else be Judy Garland? Joan comes bursting through the door carrying a portfolio. Oh, good morning, Judy. How are you feeling this morning? Like hell. Oh, come on now. You have to have more enthusiasm than that. Like hell! <laughs> Dear Judy, I hate to break it to you. You are never going to lose that fat ass if you don't pedal hard. You have to work that bike and work hard. Really pedal. I can't. Mm, can't never could. I'm tired. I haven't slept in years. Look at me. My hair is falling out. You need discipline and structure in your life. Joan opens her morning Pepsi and lights a cigarette. I need my rest. 
either you want to lose those ugly pounds or not. You need to take control. When you were unruly at Metro, I'd hear stories at Warner Brothers, and I could wrung your neck. Delby would have kicked my ass up and down a lot if I tried any of that nonsense. Those were all lies. All lies. I never did any of that. Joan begins to sign autographs on her 8 by 10 photos. Talking to the wrong people, girl. You needed someone to give you a kick in the can for years, and that's exactly what I'm going to do. Pedal that God bless bike. <laughs> fat, fat, go away. Come back another day. Mm -hmm. That's more like it. What are you doing? Publicity. I'm sending photos to the press. We need all the help we can get for the picture. This is how it started when I was at MGM. When I couldn't sleep, I'd send out photos. Public only sees the glamour. They don't understand the hard work. You said a mouthful there, sister. Betty marches into the room holding a small, brightly wrapped package. Oh, good morning, dear Betty. Good morning, dear. What the hell is this? She throws the package in front of Joan. I don't know. Why don't you open it, dear, and find out? I know what you're up to, Crawford. Open it. I, I love presents. Open it. Hush. I don't want any of your presents. You tried that shit at Warner when you wiggled your ass onto my lot. It's only a present, Betty. She's trying to make up to you. I'm extending my love to you. Well, those dyke longings might have worked for Tallulah Banquet, but not me. I think you're being too sensitive. I want it. Judy, who can no longer stand it, grabs the package. She rips the paper off the box and pulls out a bottle of perfume. Oh, lily oil, my favorite. Can I keep it, Betty? Be my guest. You know what she gave me? A muzzle. No, a box of chocolates. Judy holds up a brightly heart-shaped box of chocolates. How nice for you. At least one person appreciates my generosity around here. I'm here to work. I don't engage in social pleasantries. <sighs> you sleep well? I didn't sleep a wink. That mattress is as hard as a rock, for Christ's sake. Oh, well, you're welcome to my sleeping pills. Ooh, and become a pill-popping junkie like you? Uh, never! Well, that's not very nice. Judy, darling, keep pedaling that bike. You still have half an hour to go. How the hell do you expect her to lose weight when you feed her chocolates and boobs? She's never going to be camera ready. At this rate, we should launch her into space and call her a planet. Betty grabs one of the chocolates, pops it into her mouth, and lets out a cackle. I'm getting quite cross. Uh, Judy, uh, she didn't mean it. She's only joking. You're growing thinner and thinner by the moment. Why are you so eager, Beaver, Miss Crawford? I awake with a mission in my heart. I have a strict schedule I adhere to. I take a morning walk around Central Park just to warm up the gams. Crawford, I, I want to know about this picture. I haven't laid eyes on a script or a contract. 
Me too. I want to get started. Well, uh, ladies, this movie has everything. War, family, famine, romance. We're going to be catapulted to the top once again. I want to see the script, Joan. I'm not singing a note. I, I have laryngitis. <laughs> Who cares? Have some breakfast. You can shove those runny eggs, Crawford. You better produce a script right now, or I'm walking. Me too. Ladies, it's not nearly ready yet. Hogwash. Joan goes to her bag and pulls out a monolithic script. Judy and Betty make a beeline to her, attempting to pull it out of her hands, but she holds it above her head out of their reach. They jump to grab at it like two children. No, no. Let me see my part. I better have a good monologue. Ladies, please. I have been working for several years with various writers on this project. Spare the narrative. I want to see my part. Patience is a virtue. I lost my virtue at the pearly gates of MGM. What's the title? What? The title? St. Joan. Ah, now I've heard everything. Who's going to play Joan? I am, of course. Let me get this straight. You are going to make a picture of St. Joe. That's correct. Who the hell do I play? The mother. The mother? Are you out of your fucking mind? You're older than me. <laughs> Not on screen. Oh, she does have a point. Hmm. Why don't you pedal that bike off of short clip? Screw you. What part do I play? You play all the voices. Voices? It's a very important role. It's the voices that Joan hears. It's an off-screen part. You lousy son of a bitch. You tricked the two of us to come up here and live with you only to pitch a piece of shit project like that. This project will save our careers. If anyone in this room plays St. Joan, it is going to be me. No, me, me, I want to play her. I wanted to play that role at Warner's. You wanted to play every part at Warner. But that jackass, Mr. Warner, kept giving me those shitty ingenue roles. Okay, let me show you what I've been working on. Joan, you'll make a complete ass out of yourself again. Show you my reading of it, please. I'll change your minds. I doubt it. Joan moves center stage, flips open the script to the last page and gets into character. Betty and Judy sit on the couch behind her, less than enthralled. Joan begins the burning of the stake monologue. I'm not afraid of fire. The fires you cast me into... The fires of hell. Why should I be? I fear you not. Mock me. Torture me. But I remain firm in my conviction. My voices hold me and told me not to trust you mortal men. I trust myself. I thrust myself upon the fire. You'll never destroy my faith. I was ordained by God to save France. I trust God will redeem me. You burn me, you judge me, but one day 
you'll hold me up. Rejoice the name Saint Joan. You'll call me brave, courageous child of God. Joan gloats and turns to them for applause. There is only dead silence. Betty has fallen asleep next to Judy. Judy nudges her. Betty, I think she's done. I haven't seen acting that bad since your god-awful Mildred Piss. I've been rehearsing that for a year. It stinks. It's as flat as this Pepsi. What did you think, Judy? I thought it was missing something. Tell me, please. It's about steaks. Steaks? Steaks. Steaks? Not porterhouse. Not those bloody things you throw at your guests at dinner parties. Risk. St. Joan is being burned at the stake, for God's sakes. She's pleading for her life. Can I say something? No. no. Judy walks to the liquor cabinet and pours herself a drink and sulks. What I'm saying is, your interpretation is rotten. You have to give St. John some balls. This isn't one of those melodramas you did at Metro, and she's not wearing an Adrian gown. She is on her deathbed. Here, let me show you. Betty grabs the script, throws on her glasses, clears her throat, and tears into it. I'm not afraid of the fire, the, the flames you cast me into, the fires of hell. Blah, 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 blah. Cut all the rest. It's all tripe. One day, you'll hold me up. Crawford, who did you blow to write this crap? You called me the brave, courageous child of God. She takes a big sweeping bow. Thank Betty, you. Bless you. That was divine. Suddenly, out of nowhere, music. A spotlight and Judy. She sings St. Joan's last speech. Joan and Betty stare in astonishment. This is a mistake, being burned by stake. Where is God now, O oh Lord? How, how? I had a single vision, one purpose and one mission. Now I'm a heretic, a horrid wreck. Flames touch my hem, my living grows dim, my faint heart beat, I can feel the heat. I'm doing God's will to honor, to kill. Wish this song I plead, save me God, save me, but alas, I hope I know where I go. Heaven waits for me. You'll see. You'll see. 
me shining through getting the best of you voiced by a tiny spirit can't you hear it for my highest good a gilded sainthood if it's joan you're going to turn on you're all gonna watch her scream and burn on so bring on the wood boys bring on the wood applause judy bows to the audience pleased with herself they call me a living legend you know saint joan is a martyr not a torch singer did you see a star is born i slept right through it now you look here the movie was brilliant judy dear i must give you an honest appraisal of your work your weight went up and down from take to take and then i could you take that back you hussy Oh, don't get so hot under the collar. It's true. Everyone knows the only drunk in the picture was you. Judy tosses her drink in Betty's face. I hate you. I've always hated you. And you too. And I, I, I hate me too. I, I do. Judy, in a fit of hysterics, runs into the bathroom and slams the door. Now look what you did, Joan. Just being honest. She's going to try to cut off her fucking head. Oh, sweet bloody Mary, but my white bathroom rug. You better get her out of there. Joan opens a fresh Pepsi, lights another cigarette, thinking of what action to take. <clears throat> Tina used to try this shit with me. Thank God that brat is out of my hair. Judy has that same belligerent mentality, and I'm going to knock it out of her. Joan bangs on the door, then talks sweetly as if to a child. What are you doing in there, little Judy? I'm looking for pills. I'm going to kill myself. Meanwhile, Betty sat down and has discovered Joan's portfolio, opens and begins to mark huge X's over Joan's glossy face. Here we go again. Oh, now don't do that, Judy. Please come back to the party. We were having such a delightful time, weren't we, Betty? Of course. Come out, dear. We'll let you sing over the rainbow. What a treat. Will you can it? I didn't say anything. I was talking to Betty, dear. <laughs> Judy, please come out of that bathroom. My patience is very low today. I'm going to kill myself. I'm through with pills. They take too long. I'm going to slit my throat. A glass shatters in the bathroom. Joan runs to the bathroom door and puts her ear to it. Betty, help me, please. When BD threw tantrums like that, I would leave the house. I never had time to put up with her petty bullshit. That's a brilliant idea. Bless you. That'll get her out. Besides, I've got to piss. May I look? Don't push it, Miss Hudson. <laughs> Sorry, Betty, dear. Well, Judy, Betty and I are going out for a little bite to eat. Betty stands up and grabs her purse. Judy, we're going to your favorite restaurant. Hamburgers. French fries. 
fuck yourself. I'm never going to eat again. Joan called me fat, and I'm going to stay in here until I starve myself to death. Well, have a nice time. Let's get going, Joan. Okay, Betty. Oh, and don't forget the Pepsi. They have a tendency to water down the drinks at the Rainbow Room, those cheap cocksuckers. The two women grab their mink coats from the hallway and leave out the front door. Silence. Judy comes out of the bathroom. Her hair is disheveled and her makeup smeared. She goes to Joan's record collection and finds her, her Carnegie Hall album and puts it on the turntable. She puts the needle down and as the overture begins, she pumps herself into the legend Judy Garland and sways to the memory of her legendary night. She crosses to the phone. Hello, Butch. This is Judy. Oh, darling, I'm fine. I, I love you too. Listen, I'd like to order a meal. Several. I'd like a side of beef, a case of blue nun, a, a gallon of mashed potatoes, and don't forget the gravy this time. She hangs up the phone. She spies the St. Jones script on the coffee table, picks it up. She fishes her reading glasses from her handbag and puts them on. She leans leisurely back on the couch, props her feet up, and throws open the script. Oh, boy. Some light reading. Lights fade. Act one, scene three. Later that night, Judy is passed out on the couch. The apartment is a wreck. The floor is littered with food containers, alcohol, and pill bottles, and a record scratches on the last groove. Shortly, Betty and Joan appear in the doorway. Joan is in heaven while Betty is bitter. Betty, our fans still remember us. Joan, you were always a publicity whore. <laughs> I'd bottle myself and sell it door to door if I felt it would help me get ahead. You should stick to head like you've always done. Betty throws her fur at Joan, who hangs them both up in the closet. Betty enters further into the room and is the first to discover the trash department and smiles. Betty makes a beeline for the bar and mixes herself another drink. I tell you, Betty, there's nothing more invigorating than having fans tearing at you, begging for autographs. Joan turns around and sees the destroyed apartment, and her jaw hits the ground. Her eyes survey the damage and then land on Judy on the couch. She moves to her. Dear God, she finally ended it. She's not dead, unfortunately. She's passed out. Look at that lush, drunk and slobbering all over my couch and my white rug. Joan, turn off that dreadful phonograph. Joan crosses to the record player, removes the needle, and holds up Judy's Alone album. Betty, she's been listening to her own records. How that singing sociopath has made it this far, I'll never know. Betty, I can't stand it for another second. Help me clean up this pigsty. Joan drops to her hands and knees and begins to clean up the mess. Forget it, Joan. I'll drop my gin. When I get my hands on that lush, I'm going to show her. Betty, who has sat down, discovers Judy's little black book beneath her. She holds it up. Look what I found. Judy's diary. Put that down. Rude. How rude. I'm going to read it. I've decided to write a book. I finally have something to write about. Christ. Stop that nonsense and help me clean up this mess. Uh, people I hate. L.B. Mayer, Sid Loft, Betty 
Davis, Joan Crawford, Judy Garland. Joan picks up a voodoo doll from the coffee table. Oh, Betty, look. She made this cute little doll. That's not a doll. She looks like me. <laughs> oh, but the poor dear has pens stuck in her. Idiot, that's a voodoo doll. Joan screams and throws down the doll. She continues to clean. She's trying to kill me. Joan, why should that be a surprise to you? Everybody wants you dead. That's not very Christian. I'm not a Christian. God loves me. God may, might love you, but everyone else thinks you're an ass. I don't know why I allowed you to shuck up with me. The same reason you do anything. Publicity. I did this out of sisterly love. Joan lets out a blood-curdling scream. She staggers onto her feet holding a shell of St. Joan's script, obviously burned to a crisp. What the hell is wrong with you? She burned my script. Bless her. Put a sock in it. That pile of ashes can't be your only copy. It is. I've been writing this comeback for years for myself. Oh, there is a god in heaven. No, I'm going to slaughter that drunk cow. Joan shakes Judy violently. Garland, this is your wake-up call. No. Oh. Tell Mr. Mayor I'm sick. Betty crosses to Judy and shakes her too. Judy, get your whore ass up. Help me pick her up. With her litter bearing hips, I'll throw my back out. They pick her up and she mumbles something incoherently and falls back onto the couch. I have some smelling salts in my purse. Betty gets a smelling salt from her purse and puts it under Judy's nose. Judy rouses slowly. I smell Sid's mother. Where am I? Pay attention, for God's sake. This isn't Kansas, and we're not friends of Dorothy. Am I over the rainbow? Well, do I look like the Tin Man? Oh, God. No. No! She blacks out again, falling back onto the couch. Joan, we better let her sleep it off. She weeps. What am I supposed to do now? That role was my return to the living. I am ruined. Hey, Joan, that's the best acting you've ever done. Joni, Joni, it's going to be all right, darling. Sit down. She pushes Joan down onto the chair. Shh. Mother goddamned is here to fix you right up. And you'll be back on your back in no time. Yeah, drink this. And put this under your tongue. She puts a cigarette in Joan's mouth like a thermometer. What was that? A little pick me 
I could not have been kinder to Judy. I was whipping her back into shape and she did this to me. It does baffle the mind why she would stoop so low. I'm going to throw that bitch out on the sidewalk. We'll see how far she gets on that talent of hers. She can't stay under my roof and betray me. Dear, everything will look better in the morning. Why don't you get some shut eye? I can't sleep with this apartment so filthy. I'll clean it. You don't know how to scrub it the way I like it. Come on now, let's go Betty bye. Betty escorts a weary Joan to the bedroom. A few seconds later, Betty re-enters with a grin on her face. She crosses to Judy. Judy, Judy, wake up dear, it's me, Betty. I forgot. I knew you were awake. You're cross with me? No, it's marvelous. Burning that trashy St. Joan saga to ashes. <laughs> what a performance. Queen Bee makes me so goddamn mad. How dare that bitch try to pull one over on you and me? Ah, and this dump of hers looks like a cyclone hit it. You know, Betty, it, it, it's what I do when I get angry. I destroy things, and then I gobble as many pills as I can, and then I eat. <laughs> it's my act. We know. Judy, you and I need to gang up on Crawford to get back at her for double-dealing us. Betty, I just thought of something. What if she throws me out? She can't. That's what she just said. Uh, didn't you hear her? I'm scared. I have nowhere to go except over the rainbow. Oh, dear. Oh, dear God. I better call Sid. Stop it. Now, listen to me. Joan can't kick us out. Not if we stick together. We'll beat her at her own stupid game. Betty, you're brilliant. All we have to do is call our people and leak the fact that Joan threw us out lock, stock, and barrel. Now that is using your noodle. She'll never toss us out knowing the lousy publicity she'll get. You know how she worships everything written about her. So let's just stay put. Exactly. Besides, I can't leave. Crawford has put me in a pickle. Unless I'm offered a role in a picture, I'm afraid I'm as broke as you are. This is a marvelous way to stab her in the back after she tricked us. Uh, now, Judy, will you please clean up this dive? No. I'll give you a present. What? She opens her purse and hands Judy a bottle of pills. These. I was saving them for your birthday, but I think you've earned them. Penzatrine. Now will you clean up this prep? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Betty begins to put on her coat, gloves, and hat. You and I are going to get along fine, sister. Just fine. Where are you going? Out. After spending all day with that snake, I deserve some fresh air. Judy starts picking up trash from the floor. 
Listen, you go out and I'll have the shanty sparkling like a diamond by dawn. Thank you, Judy. And remember, no matter what Joan says or does, we stay put. Right, Betty. Judy has found the voodoo doll and holds it up. Betty eyes it. They both grab a pin and stab the doll violently. <laughs> Take that. Take that. And that. that. <laughs> we hear Joan scream. Judy and Betty laugh wickedly as the lights fade. End of scene three. Act one, scene four. The next morning, the room has been completely transformed in, into Joan's uh, palace. The radio, TV, and record plays simultaneously. We hear Judy humming. She is happy. Come out, come out, wherever you are. Come to mama. She crawls out from behind the couch, scouring the floor for pills, finds one and pops it into her mouth. You little red devil, trying to sneak by me? Joan, wearing morning clothes, looks unhinged and scattered enters. She carries an urn and ceremoniously places it on the mantle. Judy crawls behind the couch, trying to hide. She turns off the TV, radio, and scratches the record. Joan spots Judy and stares her down with hatred. There you are. You scared me. Hmm. Judy, come here. I'm afraid. You better be. You're in hot water, girl. I didn't do it. Oh, goddamn girl. And why? Why? I told you I didn't. Then who? Francis. Francis Farmer? No, Francis Gum. The little Judy Garland. The part of me that died to create this. Oh, shut up, Judy. That double personality Gemini bullshit might work on those fairies that flock to your concerts, but not me. You destroyed my career in one of your stupid manic tantrums. Are you out of your mind? Answer me. I plead insanity. You better plead for your worthless life. You're no saint yourself, Lucille. I'm warning you, Francis. Don't push me or I'll make sure. Or you'll what? I'll heave that trunk of yours right out the window on the 7th Avenue. You wouldn't dare. I was born in it. Oh, the hell I won't. I cleaned your apartment for you. Oh, I don't give a shit about this hellhole. That script. That garbage wasn't worth the paper it's written on. Voices my celluloid ass. How dare me? How dare you? Judy, there's no controlling you, is there? I tried my hardest to be sweet to you and you shit all over me. I want you out of here. She crosses to the phone. Hello, security. Judy crosses to Joan and grabs the phone out of her hand. Give me that. You don't know who you're dealing with. Go ahead and try to throw me out. I dare you. But let me warn you, I'll be on this phone to the papers quicker than you can say Clark Gable. You I'm not a girl, girl. Now you get this straight. I'm going to stay here and there's nothing you can do about it. I'm going to park my fat ass on this dive-in until my next comeback at the palace. No, Judy. Honey. I'm hearing voices. We have to iron this out. Judy covers her ears and begins to sing at the top of her lungs. Oh, damn you, woman. I'm happy. This is unacceptable. Unacceptable, you hear me? I'm tired of dealing with you. She storms off into the bathroom. Judy reclines back on the couch, satisfied with her victory. Poor 
poor phony Joni. Joan storms out of the bathroom more enraged. You gobbled every pill in my medicine cabinet. Just then, Betty comes through the doorway. She looks radiant. Guten Morgen, Joan. Buenas Aires, Judy. Good morning. What's good about it? Oh, girls, I have some important news. I'm in love. Who is he? Shh. You'll wake him. Wake him? You mean he's here? Oh, yes. <laughs> she sits on the couch. His beauty can't be described. He's charming. He's graceful. In the most attractive man I have ever met. He has the body of a Greek god. And Vera, my god, he wore me out. I can barely walk. Where did you meet Mr. Hot Riches? Last night after you went nuts, I went to Sardi's. I was having a cocktail at the bar. He appeared out of thin air. How romantic. This isn't the Hollywood canteen, and you're too old to be entertaining the troops. Jealousy isn't your best color, dear. Try peach. Damn it, I want you all to clear out. I'm through playing this game. The games have just begun. That's right, crawfish. We're not budging an inch. I'll make your lives a living hell. You're the one who made us move in here with that stupid St. Joan idea. I'm at my wit's end with both of you two pickled pusses. If you know what's good for you, you'll let the door hit you where the good Lord split you. Betty! Oh, hush. Here he comes. A very handsome man in his mid-twenties enters wearing a towel exposing his chiseled chest. This is Madison. Morning, ladies. He drops his towel and walks boldly through the living room into the bathroom. Judy and Joan stare at him in amazement and disbelief. Betty just beams and primps. So, it's sausage for breakfast. Blackout, end of Act One. Act Two, Bridge. Act Two, Scene One. Two months later, all four are playing bridge around the coffee table, and a thick cloud of smoke hovers above them. Joan and Judy are partners. Betty and Madison are partners. Madison acts as the dummy. A note about their appearance and manner. They have dropped their guards and the gowns are a tad less glamorous. It is obvious they have been living together for a while. It's your play, Jutes. I'm thinking. It's only bridge. Take your time, we're ahead. What suit is a trunk? Hearts. <laughs> She's so sweet. Joan and Betty look at him. Meanwhile, Judy pulls out a book of hints and reads it. Bless you. He met me, dear. Actually, I was referring to her. He nods to Judy. Madison, aren't you supposed to be the dummy? Well, I... Act like it and clam up. Now, Madison, stand up for yourself. Betty, dearest. What? I, uh, I... I'm trying to concentrate. Mm -hmm. Not now. 
if you have something to say, spit it out. You look lovely, dear. Thank you. Hmm. It's clear who wears the pants in your household. And he better never forget it. This is the longest game in history of bridge. Listen, run into the kitchen and grab me a Pepsi out of the Frigidaire. Uh, yes, Miss Crawford. Oh. He jumps up. Oh, dear Madison, you've lived here two months. You couldn't be less formal. Yes, Lucille Lassure. <laughs> Good, honey. <laughs> Madison walks into the kitchen. Judy finally throws down her last card. Read them and weep. I knew you had that ace. Good girl. What is that in your hand? Judy hides the book behind her back. Nothing. Betty stands up and tries to pry the book out away from Judy, who has a death grip on it. Give me that book, you little cuss. Oh, Judy bends, oh, oh. she bends Judy's arm behind her back. Oh, you're breaking my arm. Madison comes back carrying a present, reading a letter. Uh, Joan, I can't read your handwriting. Rushes to him and snatches the letter, gift, and hides them. Not in front of Betty, you dope. Oh, I love cufflinks. <laughs> Say Indian before I twist this off. Madison sees Betty twisting Judy's arm for the first time. Betty, leave her be. She was cheating us. She's going to murder me. Let her go. No. If you don't let her go, I'm not taking you to paradise tonight. You don't play fair. She releases Judy. There. Betty sits on the chair, removes her glasses, and poses seductively. Game of bridge, and you act like it's the goddamn Olympic Games. Did she hurt you? She broke my arm. My left one, too. How will I throw the microphone cord? There goes my comeback at the Palladium. Judy puts her head down on the table and cries. After about a minute, she looks up to make sure that she's still getting attention. Now, dear, I won't tolerate you persecuting my Judy. She's a big bully. Are you too, Helen Keller? She was cheating. Cheating! You didn't have to torture me. You should be ashamed of yourself, dear. Jyoti, I'm sorry. I'll live. She crosses to the couch and sulks. Madison nurses her, and she loves the attention. Shall we finish the rubber? What's the score? And then we take it. You padded the deck. That's untrue. We are winning because of skill, engineering, and strategy. Being a sore loser doesn't suit you. I'm not a sore loser. I don't mind losing fairly. But our lady of the diet pill was blatantly cheating. I wouldn't be surprised if she didn't have a card tucked up her ass. Let's play another game. Old maid. <gasps> All three recoil in horror. If I could go for a rousing hand and strip poker. I don't want to play cards anymore like an old biddy. I'm bored with this crap. 
playing bridge all day. Ha! I'm tired of resting on my laurels. I want to act. I was attempting to get you in front of the cameras again, but... Judy destroying that dismal St. Joan epic was the most humane act of the year. As long as I have nicotine in my lungs, it will be a cold day in hell before I play the mother to that mother. Why don't you just relax, dear? I'm not retired. There's plenty of piss and vinegar in me. If you three stop bickering for one second and put your thinking caps on, you could probably come up with a St. Joan script with all of you playing the role. No comments from the penis gallery. Uh, why didn't I think of that? Judy could play her as the young men on the farm. I do my best work playing girls on farms. Uh, Betty can play her on the battlefield, and I could be the saints. I remember the script. I've got a photographic memory. Joan grabs the score pad and a pencil and rushes to Judy's side. Oh, Jukes, tell me what you remember. Wait a minute. Why should I help you when you've been nothing but mean to me? If you tell me, then no more punishment. No more dictation? I'll wipe the slate clean. Now, tell me. With all this pressure, it went right out of my mind. Maybe we should hypnotize her. Oh, sensational brainstorm, lover. Are you sure that's safe? Oh, certainly. Now, Judy, you sit on the Davenport and take five deep breaths. Madison puts a pillow behind Judy's head. I'll be your fluffer. Now, let your mind go completely blank, and I'm going to count backward from ten, and when I reach one, you'll be in a deep sleep. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five. I I'm scared. Well, what if I go to the dark side and don't come back? We'll throw a party. Oh, Four. Three, two, one. Judy suddenly passes out. And she's out. Madison, write down every detail. She hands off the pad and paper to Madison. Judy, can you hear me? Yes. I'm going to take you back into your memory where you see a script. I see one. Tell me what you see. France. A liar of fog lies around an old house and a young androgynous girl appears. That's me, St. Joan. Now, Judy, tell Mama more. She begins to... The doorbell rings. Judy's eyes pop open. <sighs> Betty makes a beeline for the bar. Saved by the bell. Damn it. What happened? You failed, like always. Judy, door. You said no more punishment. Liar! My minute of graciousness is over. Open that door. Oh, don't make me answer it. Doorbell. I'll get it for her. You take one step towards that door, Buster, and you'll be gippy. Doorbell. 
I just can't. What if it's one of my creditors and he, and he serves me a subpoena? Pretend you're the maid. Doorbell. You think I can? Sure, yeah, of, of course you can. Anyone would believe in taking not. Well, as long as you believe in me, I, I think I can do it. Break mm -hmm. a leg. Judy crosses to the door. We hear her off stage. She completely changes her voice to a thick German accent pretending to be the maid. Guten Tag. Nein, er ist noch hierin. Ja, ich liebe dich. Ja. She comes back carrying a huge manila envelope. What's in the package? Oh, I love fan mail. Joan snatches the envelope and begins to open it. You're not the only legend around here. Give me that package. Betty rips the envelope from Joan and tears the package open. In her haste, Betty doesn't notice the note that falls up to the floor. Joan quickly picks it up. It's a brand new script. Yeah, there's a note. It. There's a note. Dear Miss Crawford and Miss Davis, I have written my new vehicle, Winter's Harvest, for the two of you to star in. Pick a scene for me to view, and I'll drop by in two weeks to watch. Sincerely, Tennessee Williams. How did that asshole know I was here? He's my uncle. Tennessee Williams is your uncle? Yes, I wrote him and told him I was living here with you three. Betty, Tennessee's willing to help you make a comeback. Ha! Huh. Just like he did with that crap knight of the iguana. He hired Betty Davis and then tried to write me out of the play. Well... If I would have known it would upturn your apple cart, I would have told him to mail it to Ms. Bankhead instead of you. Or... <laughs> Mr. Williams is making a weak attempt to make amends. And I accept. Wait a minute. Shouldn't that script be for Joan, Betty, and Judy? Why would that be so? Because Tennessee's queer and all queens love me. There's no part in it for you because Tennessee Williams doesn't write musicals. I can do more than sing, you tone-deaf crow. Oh. We'll let you sing the theme song, dear. I don't want to sing the fucking theme song. I'm sick and tired of being a jukebox. Judy, you're showing your fat ass again. You told me we'd stick together, old woman. Sorry, this is a dame-eat-dame -dame business. No! Judy throws a fit and tries to run into the bathroom, but Joan is too quick for her this time and blocks the door. Oh. All right, fine. You're both cutting me out. I am so angry. I'm to go to go into the kitchen and get the biggest butcher knife, and I'm really going to really slit my throat this time. She runs off into the kitchen. Oh, Judy, don't. Oh, Judy. Ma Madison follows her. Judy is still milking that victim role. So unprofessional, but the Nellies flip over that crap. Well, honestly, I'm glad I've never been a fag hag. <laughs> <laughs> Lights fade. Act two, scene two. The following scenes should be fast and furious like a great game of bridge. They are passing the passing of two weeks' time. Madison sits alone and Judy peeks her head around the corner. Madison. Psst. Judy. I'm so embarrassed. 
I made a spectacle out of myself again. Poor dear. I was never strong like those two. I, I wish I was, but I I'm more like a, a paper lantern in the rain. But your talent is astounding. Yeah, my talent, my talent. That's all I ever hear is my talent. I just want someone to love me for me. Not my voice, but for me. Lots of people love you. Name one. Well, I, your fans. My fans. I, I love them, but you can't take them home. You can't pack them up in your trunk and hold them when it gets lonely and dark. Uh, after a show, I walk in the door and Francis Gom holds out a drink to me and says, Judy, we need to talk. That's so sad. I wish I could help you. Well, maybe you can. See, I I'm trying to write my memoirs. I have a publisher who's been hounding me to write my side of things, but I, I can't concentrate long enough to organize myself. Judy, I would do anything for you. If, if you help me, I'll split it with you right down the middle. I, I'm very tempted, but what about Betty? She'll be all wrapped up working on that scene with Joan. We'll work on it in the quiet of night. It'll be our secret. Deal? Deal. They shake on it as the lights fade. Lights crossfade to where Betty and Joan hold scripts that they've been working on. Betty directs Joan. They've been going at it for a long time. Do it again and remember my notes. You make me nervous. Throw some balls. Go! Ellie, you promised you'd return for me. And I didn't want to betray you. Lots of Vermont freezing to death, starving, and here you are living in privilege. Cut. What am I doing wrong? Everything. You must hold Tennessee in the same regard as Shakespeare. Hmm. Crossfade to Judy and Madison. Judy talks while Madison writes notes. Uh, tell me about your, your TV show, uh, Rumor on the Street, is that you were drunk. Untrue. That fiasco aged me 30 years. Because they canceled it? No, I'm, I'm used to being canceled. Lights cross back to Joan trying the speech again while Betty watches her like a hawk. I'm stung and froze to death. Please let me do my part my way. It's Drek. If you want to act with Betty Davis, you have to pay the price. Not everyone can act like you. Well, they should. What does she want? Well, I think... She wants revenge. Oh, oh, that's a good idea. What do you do when you <coughs> want revenge? Oh. I... Well, I call my press agent. Lights cross back to Judy and Madison. The most horrific thing that ever happened to me during that show actually didn't happen to me. See, my friend, sometimes it's what happens to someone we love that kills us. See, they murdered my friend Jack Kennedy and I, 
I couldn't go on. I was shattered and those producers told me I couldn't cancel my show. And I said, I, I somehow had to pay my respects to this great man. And they told me I was insane, nuts, crazy, drunk, and that I was the only one who missed him. And I said, he's the fucking president. Somebody's got to do something. And right then I decided to go behind their backs and do battle him and they couldn't stop me. Not after I sang the roof off CBS and I didn't sing for me, but for my friend, one of the kindest, sweetest men who lived. I swear to God, after I conquered that song, there wasn't a dry eye in the house. I used to sing over the rainbow to him on the phone to cheer him up. Not one single day goes by that I don't miss him. I know what you mean. He sure was cute. Lights fade to Joan and Betty taking a cigarette break. Joan does exercises while Betty mulls over the script. You are no better than when we started. That's not true. Oh, feel my stomach. I'm as strong as a horse. You're not a sea biscuit. What is the significance of the title? I don't have a clue. I throw over the script, read my lines, and throw out the rest. Acting a part is a privilege, an honor. This character is beyond me. I, I can't comprehend her. You must expand your range. That's the trouble with these new dames in Hollywood. We, as their elders, have to set an example. You're right. These starlets don't know how to get on their knees and really work for a part. Lights fade on Judy to Judy and Madison. And they think it's funny. Judy the clown had taken another tumble. Well, get back up. There's not another comeback left. You don't mean that. I'm thinking of quitting show business. I hate Hollywood and everyone in that cardboard town. Lights back on Joan and Betty. Joan tries on gowns. I wear the red or the green. What the hell are you doing? I want to dazzle Tennessee. Christ, Joan, acting is more than showing off your figure. No guts, no glory. That's I see things. I see things differently. No gowns, no glory. I am trying to help you, goddammit. What makes you such an acting expert? Mm. Betty reaches into her purse and slams her two Oscars down on the table. There. That's why. Lights back up on Madison and Judy. If you throw in the towel and surrender, they win. Movie over, roll credits. But... Right? God, woman, you don't know who you are, do you? Don't know who you represent, what you represent. You are a warrior for us. You think it's your tragedy we're attracted to, don't you? It's not. It's your strength. It's how you rise from the ashes like a phoenix over and over again. Mr. Kennedy is dead. You have to stand in his place. There's not a song left in my body. 
sing for your friend, Mr. Kennedy. Judy sings the last few bars of a song with zeal and vigor we've never seen. This is not just Judy singing, but a woman fighting for her life. That was the prettiest song I ever heard. Lights back on Betty and Joan. Betty polishes her, her Oscar. Is she playing her goddamn records again? I want an Oscar too. Joan crosses to the mantle and coddles her own Oscar. They gave you that out of pity. I worked like a little dog for my statuette. You slept with everyone for it, including Trigger. A diva does what a diva must. Joan, you need to raise your standards. Well, perhaps you need to lower yours. If I didn't have standards, I wouldn't be where I am now. Exactly, dear. So shall we try again? Lights fade. Act two, scene three. Midnight. Joan sits on the couch in her robe. She plays solitaire. Madison comes into the room dressed in a robe. Hi, Joni. What are you doing? Playing solitary. Oh. Why are you up this hour? Getting Betty a drink. <laughs> Joan puts a cigarette to her lips and does a helpless pose. I mislaid my lighter. I'll light it for you. She eyes his crotch. That's big of you. He crosses to the bar and makes hmm. a drink. Joan does a quick repair job on her makeup and crosses to the archway where she poses. Very Crawford of the movies. Madison turns around to see Joan blocking his way. He's stunned. Not so fast. Oh, dear. He downs his drink. Mm. Call me hotcakes. Hotcakes? I don't buy, dear. She pulls him closer. I have to get back. Oh, that old alligator handbag. <laughs> Just... Close your eyes and pretend I'm a man. Joan, stop it. Joan rips off his robe, leaving him in his underwear. She paws at oh, his chest. Uh, Give your mama <laughs> a little lip lock, handsome. Joan pulls down his underpants and pulls him down on the couch with her, but he attempts to wiggle away, but she has him caught like a spider does a fly. This is wrong? She mounts him. Right him, cowboy. Betty walks oh. into the room and she sees them on the couch. What the Sam Hill is going on here? Joan and Madison jump 12 feet apart. Oh. Betty charges into the room ready for a fight. Madison hurriedly put up, puts on his robe. Oh, Betty. Oh. You came in the nick of time. Madison's a vulture. Can't you keep your claws off of anything with a pulp? He was helping me practice the love scene, and we got carried away. Oh, can your crap? Can I? Oh, shut, shut up. up. Madison runs off yelling. Fight! Fight, Judy! Hurry, fight! The night before our big audition for Tennessee Williams. How could you? 
Well, I was trying to clear up my complexion. Madison returns with Judy. Oh boy, I love big fights. I'm innocent. Get it through your thick wig. That cock is mine. Joan and Betty face off with fists raised. He thrusts himself upon my virtue. I am going to knock your lights out. We had this date from the beginning, Blanche. Betty charges into Joan's midsection and the two of them fall over the couch. And an entire fight scene consists of cat noises and yelling. We see an occasional arm, leg, shoe, wig. Judy and Madison stand by and yell as if it's a spectator sport. Smack her! Hit her in the head! All of a sudden, there is a thud. Betty rises out, out breathing, wheezing, and coughing, hacking up a lung. <laughs> For the love of God! What, dear? She nearly killed me with her falsies! Joan and Betty, out of breath, climb onto the couch. After a moment, Judy begins laughing hysterically, and this causes a chain reaction. <laughs> you both look like two cookers in heat! <laughs> Aren't you mad at each other? Oh, hell no. We needed to clear the air. <laughs> so, shall we have a game of bridge? At this hour? Oh, I can't sleep now. Place your bet. Judy shuffles the cards like a Vegas player as the lights dim. Act two, scene four. The next day, Madison dressed in a nice suit talks on the phone. Are, are you sure you gave him the correct address? Tennessee is definitely coming. That's all I wanted to know. Bless you. Judy comes into the room. She is dressed in a gown obviously too tight for her. Good afternoon, Maddie. Look at you. I haven't seen Tennessee in years. I'm just about to fall apart at the seams. <laughs> Me too. I'm about to bust out of this girdle. I've been on my iced tea diet for two weeks in order to squeeze into this old chestnut. Betty comes charging through the door, dressed in a period dress from one of her films. Good afternoon, everyone. You look like a million dollars. I feel like two million. Where's Lucille? Trying to get her carpet to match her drapes. You ready for your scene? I have memorized the entire script. All of my lines, all her lines. I'm going to show Tennessee. Joan suddenly makes a grand entrance. She stands in the doorway with a gown that's cut up the sides and down the cleavage. She has transformed her hair, her makeup, and looks like an image from one of her earlier films. Our dancing daughters are one of those relics. Ladies and gentlemen, Miss Joan Crawford. Who the hell are you supposed to be? My dazzle's going to blind him. He's going to take one look at you and his dentures are going to fall out. You're playing a middle-aged madam from the South, not a jazz baby. Tennessee expects Joan Crawford. If he wants the girl next door, he can go to Miss Garland. Go change. You're going to blow our chances with your tits sagging on the floor. 
intercom buzzes. Uh, yes? Uh, come up. Oh, this is the most exciting day of my life. Oh, I need the powder room. Judy runs to the bathroom. Joan begins running around the apartment straightening things. Dear God, look at this apartment. Dirty, shabby. Tennessee Williams stumbles in. He looks 99 years old. His clothes are rumpled, dirty, and he's obviously drunk. He wears an ugly toupee. Upon his entrance, he stumbles to the ground. Where's a pisser? I'm right this way. Oh, uh, Judy's in there. Uh, I use the one in the hall. They exit. Betty, Tennessee looks like something dragged up from the river. Success has been unkind to him. I'm going to have to get this entire place dry cleaned. Judy bursts out of the bathroom singing a song trying to impress Tennessee. Shout hallelujah. Pipe down, songbird. Pipe down, songbird. He's in the crapper. Damn. Madison leads Tennessee back into the room. Tennessee eyes Madison's butt seductively. I'm so happy you came by. Oh, me too, honey. <laughs> Joan intercepts Tennessee and puts her arms about him. Uh, Mr. Williams, I wish to tell you how blessed I am to have you in my humble home. Won't you sit down? He sifts the air and leads her to the bar. Oh, no. Oh, he's tight enough. <laughs> dear, dear Tennessee, how lovely to see you again. Joan gives Tennessee a tug like a horse and leads him to the mantle. What in the hell are you? Well, I'm Joan Crockford. Well, who in the hell dug you up? Joan's jaw drops to the floor. Betty stands up making an attempt. Hello, old pal. <laughs> You're a drag queen. How dare you, you drunk old goat. Betty thumps her cigarette ashes on him and crosses to the couch. Mr. Williams, I loved your play, The Trolley Car Named Desire. And you are? Judy Garland. I thought you were dead. A moment of awkward, deathly silence. I want a drink. I'll fix you one. Not you, hunchback. <laughs> Him. <laughs> Me? A bourbon stat boy. <laughs> he assumes I'm the butler. <laughs> Tennessee plops down in a chair and pulls out his flask. Madison pours him a drink. Betty takes this moment to speak to Madison. Madison, he sure is disrespectful. Uh, I can't help it. Uh, here we are, Mr. Williams. Thanks, baby. Dear Jesus, he's double fisting. Uh, now, now that we're all set, uh, Betty and I have prepared a little selection from your new scripts. It's the best script ever. Oh, fuck me, Ronnie. Why is it as soon as people meet me, they want to audition for me? Do, do I have central casting stamped on my forehead, huh? Uh, sit back and let Betty and I entertain you. Oh, floor show, Christ. <laughs> he takes a drink. Joan and Betty begin their little scene. 
While they're acting, Judy begins to sing at the top of her lungs. Tennessee falls asleep during their scene with his cigarette burning. Madison watches the Three Rings Circus taking place. You have to take me in. I'm not in a position to help you. Stop, stop. Ah. One more note out of you, Francis, and I'll kick you into next week. Judy shuts up. Tennessee fell asleep. With a lit cigarette. He's going to burn my place down. I fell asleep once with a lit cigarette and torched the entire west wing of the house. Oh, save your narrative for your freaks. Kicking the chair. Tennessee, wake up. Was that from Menagerie? No. Oh, streetcar. No. Winter's Harvest. Oh? You idiot. It's your new script. Script? I hadn't written nothing in six months. Certainly did not write that drudge. I was told this was a bridge party with three legends. Oh, I wonder who gave you that impression? I'm ready to play cards. The old bridge club. I'm lucky at cards, but unlucky at love. (laughs) Shuffle them cards. Madison, you wrote that script, didn't you? Yes, I did. I knew that dog shit couldn't be Tennessee Williams. I'm going to strike you. Not so hasty. It's lowbrow and backbiting, but clever. If I didn't possess those qualities, I wouldn't have become Joan Crawford. Oh, don't you stand there and protect him. Ladies, ladies. There's only one talent in this room I'm remotely interested in. Told you so. Oh, Mr. Williams, my bad days are over. Not you. Him. Listen, kid. I like your moxie, your ambition, your ass. (laughs) You want a daddy? I'll pretend I'm your uncle. Name your price, uh, he pulls out his wallet. Whoops, I'm uh, fresh out of pesos. So you take master charge? That, wait, you mean a date? Madison, don't you dare. Oh, close your mouth, woman. Boy, let, let, let's get out of this cat house while we're both still young and virile, huh? Come on. I, I'm scared. That's all right, kiddo. Daddy will show you the ropes. Tennessee uh-huh. escorts Madison out of the door, copying a feel of his ass as they go. Uh, tomorrow is my birthday, and we're having a little shindig in which you're cordially invited. Joan, Betty, and Judy have a moment of shocked silence. Oh, that's a fine how-do-you-do. Uh, foxed by a fluff. I've never been so humiliated in my life. What do we do now? They sit for a second, and Betty picks up Judy's book of hints and reads from it. (sighs) Instructions for the advanced game of Old Maid. 
Blackout. Act two, scene five. The next morning, Joan, Betty, and Judy play old maid. Each one has a birthday hat on. There are balloons and presents around the room. The radio plays. Today, we celebrate the wonderful Judy Garland's birthday. Wherever you are, we hope you are happy. The, the first strains of Judy's song plays. Betty, in a huff, turns it off. Where the hell is Madison? He has been out all night with that pervert. Calm down, Betty. All my husbands did the same thing. It's your play, Joe. Do you have any queens? Do I ever? Oh, boy. Madison staggers in with his clothes tattered and torn. His hair is a mass of grease. Morning, ladies. Look who finally decided to come home. What a night. What a man. <laughs> Tennessee's a devil. He took me to his pad and we smoked these funny little cigarettes and he defiled me. It was dark, nasty, and I'm in love. <laughs> so, I'll bet you feel mighty proud of yourself, don't you? Fooling us old fossils. I'm sorry. Oh, sorry, my left tit. Building us up with your promises of a comeback. And not only was he not your uncle, but you banged him? I'll never speak to you again. All right, don't fight. It's Judy's birthday. So what? She's decomposing, just like the rest of us. Well, let's leave her to her bitter Betty party of one and open the presents. The doorbell rings. They all freeze in horror. I'll get it. Madison goes to the door and talks off stage. Oh, uh, yeah, uh, I'll give it to her. He comes back with a telegram. It's a telegram. One of you ladies is very lucky. Who wants this? Me, me. I do. I, I want it. It's my birthday. Sit. All three sit on the couch in anticipation like Oscar Knight. Madison rips open the envelope. And the winner is... Betty Davis. <laughs> of course it is. Thank you. She reads it and cries. It's, it's here. Just in time. But... What? My big break, huh? England wants me for a picture. We begin shooting immediately. I must leave at once. She exits. I, I have to make her stay. Madison, help me, please. What can I do? She won't even speak to me. On my birthday, one less gift. Oh, selfish, always thinking of yourself. Joan. You should be happy for her. No, I'm not happy for her. Betty enters dressed to the nines again with a suitcase, hat, fur, and gloves. Oh, I am finally coming out of retirement, pulling the 
far out of mothballs, so to speak. Well, who is going to wish me luck? Bon voyage, dear. Betty, you're just going to throw our friendship out the window. Yes. Joan, I never liked you. Never. No matter what you say, what you do, I will always loathe and despise you. Now, do you want to help me with my luggage? Joan sits down on the couch and pouts. Betty, aren't you going to say goodbye? Oh, dear, dear, sweet Madison. Our love affair was doomed from the start. Take my advice. Never love a legend. Jyoti, dear, you take care of this helpless sheep. Yes. Jyoti, we're all rooting for you, so don't destroy yourself. Happy birthday. Well, I'm all set, ladies and laddies. It's been terrific, divine, and torture. <clears throat> but as they say in the pictures, it's a wrap. She slings her fox over her shoulder, puts her sunglasses on and leaves in divine fashion, carrying her suitcases and her head held high. Joan attempts to cry on Madison's shoulder. Madison, I'm wounded. Well, I'm happy she's gone. I can listen to the radio again. She crosses to the radio and turns it on. This song is terrific. Come on, let's dance. All three dance. Joan and Madison dance together with Joan leading. Judy dances alone, as, but does a swell version of a modern dance. After the song, Judy turns off the radio and they all light cigarettes. I still got it. I started off as a hooker. Hooker? Ooh, I'll be right back. Pretending to be slick, Joan prances to the kitchen. I'm so glad you came back. We still have a book to write. Are you really in love with Tennessee? No, it was a one night engagement. Joan comes into the room with a lit birthday cake. Happy birthday, Judy! Happy birthday! Judy. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. <laughs> Let your candles go on. The phone rings, they all freeze in horror. Hell, it's the IRS. I know what I'm wishing for. She blows out the candles. Madison crosses to the phone. Hello? I'm sorry, Miss Garland's unavailable. This is her assistant. Can I take a message? Oh. Oh? Oh, uh, uh hold on, she just walked through the door. No, no, no. It's 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 the publisher. Oh, give me that. She crosses to the bathroom with the phone. What the hell is that about? Search me. Judy comes bursting out of the bathroom. 
Madison, they want my book. They are paying me an advance of $50,000. All we have to do is write it. Oh, honey, I'll pack the trunk. He runs out. Understand. Uh, see, uh, Madison and I have been secretly writing a book. Wh a book? Uh, my autobiography. But you can't just leave. You ran up my phone bill sky high. Madison comes back with the trunk and parks it by the door. I'll mail you a check. This isn't the goddamn Plaza Hotel. We're all packed. Honey, when we get to California, remind me to give you a raise. Why? You're my new manager and fiance. <laughs> Judy, I love you. Madison runs out the door carrying the trunk. But, but, what about your presents? Oh, I almost forgot. Uh, now I'll have something to hawk. Judy scoops the gifts up in her arm and makes for the door. Judy, Joan, let's do lunch real soon. My treat. Judy bows grandly and heads out the door, leaving it wide open. Joan slams the door and begins to scurry around the apartment frantically. She grabs her Oscar, lights a cigarette, and opens a Pepsi. Leeches. Oh, how could I have been so foolish? Come, Lucille, pull yourself together. Don't let them beat you. She crosses to the phone and dials. Hello, Tina. Darling. Come by, darling. Live with me. No. Oh, why did you get evicted from that dumpster you call an apartment? I see. Well, I'm about to run off to, to London to film. I won't have you become a pathetic weakling sucking off my sugar tit all your life. I'm not Donna Reed or Lucy or June Cleaver. I'm Joan fucking Crawford. She slams the phone down and lights quickly black out. The end. Author, author, <laughs> author. Woo! Yay! And here's our author, Stephen Foster. Hi. Yay, Stephen! <laughs> you. you guys were awesome. You guys were really great. Uh, Sorry. Speechless. <laughs> great directing, great acting, and just, I'd cast all of you immediately if I were, <laughs> if I were casting this show and sitting in the casting section. I'd cast every single one of you. You were just... <laughs> Brought so much to the characters just from the reading. I just, I'm, I'm, I, it's, it was funny and touching and thank you. What thank a joy. You. This is a fun show, Stephen. This is a lot of fun. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you. It's yeah, thank you, Stephen. Thank you. If the people are on with us, want to unmute and, and, uh, and uh, help us with our discussion about the show, that'd be lovely.
I'd like to say first, Scott, there was a wonderful drunk in Tennessee Williams. He was disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> he was just repulsive. What did you have on your head? <laughs> uh, well, I, it's my, my, my headphones. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought it was a toupee. Yeah. <laughs> it might have been. It was Williams. He was pretty vain when he wasn't yeah. drunk. Yeah. I, I was just, you know, I was just sort of imagining, I mean, Tennessee Williams was probably kind of really difficult to be around. And so that's just what I tried to channel is just being really kind of difficult to be around. <laughs> I was in a bar in New Orleans once um, for a jazz fest and I ran into an older man was in a gay bar and I ran into an older man who claimed to have known Tennessee Williams. He, they hung out at, when they were younger men. And I just, it, it's like, it felt like I was meeting Tennessee Williams. This guy was so eccentric and telling us all kinds of stories, which I'm sure weren't true, but you know, he had that New Orleans drawl. And I'm just like, well, I feel like I'm kind of meeting Tennessee vicariously, but he was, he wanted to take off his belt and whip my friend, Dan, who I was standing there with. <laughs> it was very Why? Oh goodness gracious! Okay. I'm sure. I'm sure Tennessee left a part of himself with him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what happens in New Orleans stays in New Orleans. Yeah. The party town. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Goodness gracious! So this place normally done with uh, uh, drag um, drag impersonators. Oh. Okay. Oh. I think it actually works uh, with uh, bio women as well, um, specifically because I think they bring a different level of bitchy to it. Um, <laughs> you know, drag <laughs> What are you trying to I, say, AJ? <laughs> Nothing. I'm not good with words. <laughs> yeah, How many I think. How has the play been done, Stephen? It's been done about four times, including readings. Um, and uh, it actually, I wrote it for drag queens because I am a drag queen or was a drag queen. Um, and I, it never was performed with just drag queens. It was all, and there were always uh, women in, in the cast. Um, so uh, I've never actually had the pleasure to see it performed by just men. Um, it's always been women. And I, I think what I was so uh, fascinated with is how it works as a comedy with women. And, and I love that it's not just a drag show. It actually has a little substance in it. So that, that kind of makes me feel good. And I've written some, I think some meaty part for some, some for women. And I, I like that. Mm -hmm. What was your inspiration? My inspiration was actually the title. It came to me one day, it just, it just led to the bridge. And I had this vision of Joan Crawford, Betty Davis, and Judy Garland sitting around the card table, playing bridge with a big cloud of smoke and um, highballs. And it actually took place actually earlier in their careers, because I didn't know anything about Joan Crawford or Betty Davis when I started writing it. I only knew about Judy because I played her in um, my show, Divinalysis. 
And so I only knew <laughs> Judy Garland. And so I did a ton of research on Betty and, and Joan. And so what happened was I moved the entire period of the piece to the late, to the mid sixties. And I wrote it around after the time that they were sort of washed up. And so the first scene that I ever wrote was them sitting around the card table playing bridge. And that became the beginning yeah. of act two. Right. Mm. Wow. I thought you lifted the car game out of Sunset Boulevard. <laughs> no, I, I didn't. That's so fun. That's interesting. Um, I'm, I'm always curious after watching and hearing something, um, what do you think is a, a moment or character or relationship, and this is kind of for, for everybody, that is going to stick with you like days from now? Like if you, if you think back to the night that you had tonight, what is going to stick with you? Um, for me, I know that it's the, in the back and forth scene, the moment with Madison and Judy where they're talking about uh, the Kennedy assassination and that moment and just seeing the like reality of a person that has lost. And just like, it, it was like a very human moment for me where Judy is like all over the place the entire, and it's like, I'm gonna kill myself. And you know, just like, it's having these, these huge fits to, to see when somebody connects with her like Madison just this quiet moment of sharing and connection was just beautiful and I think is going to resonate with me for, for several days. Does anybody else have another moment or relationship or character that's going to stick with you? I thought it was really interesting how, uh, Stephen, how you portrayed uh, the personalities of three different aging women and, you know, the, the kind of uh, emotions that go with that. So, you know, they may have been vital sex bombs and so forth. And, you know, the demons that drove them uh, only become worse and, and sad as, as they, you know, see themselves in their twilight. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and they're driven to this. The impetus is that there's something that means it's not the end, right? This idea of a script, this idea of a vehicle that they can get back on and do something else with their career. And I think, I think that that's super palpable. And, and AJ and I were talking the other night about that's a little bit in a, some way how we feel right now of like, what is our next project going to be? When can we have another project? We're all in that holding pattern. Um, and so, yeah, that resonates with me as well. Yeah, I mean, I really thought that like that sort of jumping in on that uh, concept, really, the, con the way that uh, it, it resonates into uh, a, a place of, um, that thing that we always want, like, you know, you're always like, when you do something, it's like, you're always waiting for that thing to drop. You know, if I, when I lose 10 pounds, everything will be great. And, you know, when I get that, when I get that next job or whatever it is, it's like always that thing, that next thing. And, mm -hmm. and, and that plays really, really tangibly, I think in this mm -hmm. script, um, uh, 
uh, and that desperation that you can allow yourself to get into if you don't keep yourself in the moment. And, and Stephen, really, I, I, I think it plays really beautifully. And, and the way the satire cuts and it's just, it's, just, it's, it's a nice play. It's really well done. Thank you. Thank you. That sounds very much like Judy right there. <laughs> it's also kind of a snapshot in time to uh, a time in these women's lives where they're no longer ingenues, but they're not crones mm -hmm. yet. And the way Hollywood treated these women once they got past 30 or 35 even though they were you know still vibrant still talented still energetic and such they basically went oh you're too old you're too old, you're too mm -hmm. old. You're now too you old. have to play the mother and <laughs> you know and you have to play the mother and they do play mothers mm -hmm. and but then you know even the mothers start drying up yeah. and such and they want to be challenged especially in that that time of your life you want to be challenged you've got to keep going and keep going and they their attempts to keep going is both heroic and tragic mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. at the same time Joan sits there and she signs picture after picture after picture and is constantly sending them out. Although she hasn't, you know, done a picture in over a year. The last picture she and Betty did was Baby Jane. Mm -hmm. And they did not physically look their best. They acted the crap out of it. Yeah. And it was a wonderful movie. But you know i i see uh studio heads going oh, flash in the pan yeah it was a fluke yeah yeah you know we, we're still not going to cast you know older women right yeah and, such, and it, it reflects a bit to what is happening today with people of non people of color mm -hmm. ah you know, being on, on stage or being in positions of authority and such and being able to make decisions and somebody giving them that foot in the door to do that. You know, there, there are so many areas of, of uh, discrimination. Okay. And, you know, and this is one of them. This is one of them. Ageism. Yeah. That's, mm -hmm. another, that's one of them. You know, if you've ever seen the movie, The Romancing of Mrs. Stone, mm -hmm. I, I was watching it one time and it suddenly dawned on me that Mrs. Stone is only like 45 years old. <laughs> and they portray her as this sad, pathetic grandmother, you know, sitting around knitting and she wants more out of life. And I'm like, just a damn minute. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. It's like, man, I was I was at, at my peak at 45. <laughs> I waved bye-bye to that a while ago. <laughs> 45? 
Jesus. Yeah. And there's a little bit of, you know, I, you know, there's a little bit of feeling in there, you know, playing this part. You, it, it's just reality in real life. Um, there, the parts for older actresses reduce, you know, yeah. there's not as many, you know, you can't be the chorus girl anymore. Um, uh, and you, you gotta be you the know, maid or the grandmother. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, you're their grandmother or the mother or, you know, and I've seen a lot of really good plays lately. Um, but they're good, good if they, if people cast up, you know, if people cast, you know, w with older actresses. And so, mm -hmm. It, 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 there's a little bit of reality coming in here reading this tonight because it's like, oh shit, you know, I'm kind of there, you know, so um, <laughs> it, it hurts a bit, but um, but it, it's different times now, you know, and there's great vehicles out there and I find them all the time. You just have to dig. Um, and then, yeah. of course, the, the groups have, the theater groups have to do them, but it, there was a little reality in there tonight, you know, a little yeah. bit of pain. Yeah. Yeah, but you have to dig for them. You have to dig. You do. You really do. Mm -hmm. And right. the, so the medical uh, show that we're going to write has to be all for older women. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So, Stephen, right, writers. <laughs> Mom, look, I'm, I'm almost done. I'm almost done with an extra. <laughs> you, you oh. and Lily need to write us something nice. Yes, Lily. <laughs> Lillian and, and Stephen and AJ. <laughs> See, we don't look our age. Not at all, darling. Not, yeah. not on the not on the stage. We don't. <laughs> <laughs> the rule of thirty feet. That's what I you know. <laughs> In the drive-in movie theater, I'd be beautiful. I can look downright pretty with real makeup. <laughs> I look like Joan. I actually, when, when I finished putting this on, I went, that's Joan <laughs> Thank you for the opportunity, Stephen and Chelsea. Yeah. I was, it was, del I was delighted to work with you guys Thank and work you, with Stephen. everyone. Just, yeah. It was great, Lily. Really Thank my you. first time doing anything here. So it was a lot of fun. That was awesome. You all were yeah. so great. Well, everybody, I'm, you know, take a look at, uh, we have a lot of upcoming roles and everything is, uh, we have all our place, uh, chosen up to September. So please check yeah. it out. We have uh, lots Amazing. of roles, lots of fun. Yeah. Look, oh. look forward to it. How, how far too. out have you cast, AJ? Next week? Just next week? or uh, Next week is uh, a, a local DC writer. She's bringing in her own um, actors for this one. And because it's sort of a specialty casting, uh, we had to. We, that was the best way to do it. Yeah. Uh, but after that, they're pretty much open. There's tons yeah. of roles. Um, in Lulu, there's tons of roles for men. And, and after that, there's, all, there's the hodgepodge of everything. We have an entire month, basically, that's open. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you thank you all. Thank, thank you. you. Great awesome. working with you. Thank you. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Stephen. Bye, thank you guys. Bye, Stephen. Thank you. Bye, Stephen. Bye, cast. Good job, everybody. Thanks, so Chelsea. Thank you again, Chelsea. Bye. Great.
Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. For more information about Quarantine Players, visit our Facebook page at facebook.com slash quarantine players. As Shakespeare said in Julius Caesar, if we do meet again, why, we shall smile. If not, why then, this party was well made. Thank you.